The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. How can we help students think critically about the community they're speaking to online while giving them a real voice? How do we help our students create coherent arguments through social media? Kristen Turner and Troy Hicks say it's not just about creating a podcast or a blog. It's about building an argument. I'm Brett from Heinemann. On today's podcast, we're hearing from co-authors Kristen Turner and Troy Hicks as they tackle these questions and more in their new book, Argument in the Real World, Teaching Adolescents to Read and Write Digital Texts. Every day, our students are inundated by information, as well as opinions and misinformation on their devices. These digital texts influence them. In Argument in the Real World, Kristen and Troy share a wealth of insights and practical strategies for teaching students the logic of argument. Wherever arguments are streaming in through Snapchat, viral videos, internet memes, or links to other blogs or websites, Kristen and Troy guide us on how to engage with and create digital arguments. We started our conversation on what real-world arguments are. Well, they are surrounding us every day. So especially in this season, it's interesting to think about the ways in which images, graphs, videos, commercials, clips that uh, people have created on their own from Facebook Live or Twitter's Periscope, uh, up to blog posts, up to full reports and things coming from, uh, you know, think tanks, Congressional Budget Office, anywhere. Real-world arguments are surrounding us every day, and we have to think about the context and think critically about who's sharing that argument, what their stance is, and the ways in which we read and then we write arguments and put those arguments of our own back out into the real world and uh, understand what the uh, intentional and sometimes unintentional consequences of those arguments are. And I think it's important to understand that argument is not about arguing with somebody or getting in someone's face or anything like that, but that there's a structure to an argument where you make a claim and you provide evidence for that claim and that there is a uh, belief system or a background understanding that allows you to have a civilized conversation with argument. Well, I'm picking up on that idea of evidence. I have started asking students to think about what counts as evidence for whom and in what context because we know that there are different kinds of evidence that count differently for different people in different spaces and in different ways and until you have that conversation about what counts and you're talking about the warrants and the um, underlying assumptions that go with the evidence you're presenting you're probably not going to be able to have a very strong conversation about what a good argument is so it's really about having those conversations about what counts as evidence and in the digital space that gets complicated not only by the facts but by the hyperlinks fonts links images memes all those types of things well and, and on that point you both specifically write to the fact that we can't teach it the same way we always have before in the past things are different now mm-hmm. yes uh, texts are different now because we have hyperlinked texts and in the past when we only had a print based text you had that one text and you couldn't push a button and go to a different text and now you can So one of the things that we did in writing the book was really think about how links might 
act as evidence or might provide warrants or the underlying assumptions for an argument. And for all of these reasons, we do need to teach argument differently than how we have in the past. However, we also need to keep doing the good things that we know how to do. So there are lots of authors that our book builds upon. George Hillox is one of the primary people that we build upon, but also Smith, Wilhelm, and Fredrickson, who talk about how to teach argumentative thinking and more traditional-based arguments. And we want to add to that, not take away from that. Yeah. And even that one example of the hyperlink is really interesting because on a technical level, it's fairly simple to teach students how to put a hyperlink into a Google document or a blog post or a Twitter message. However, at a rhetorical level, it's a lot more difficult to think about, okay, where is that link taking your reader and why would you want your reader to go there? What do you need to point out to your reader in the words that you choose leading up to that link? And then what do you need to say after your reader comes back from that link. You don't have that with paper and pencil. Sort of going off of what you were just saying, that work is so much more important for students now. Can you explain why? At one level, we think about students and the fact that they're, you know, screenagers, millennials, whatever the euphemism is that we want to use to describe them. And I think that we assume a lot about what they're capable of, what they know, what they're able to do. And then we have to step back from that assumption and say, okay, so my daughter can post something to Snapchat. So what? What is she posting? In what ways is she framing that image? In what ways is she including different types of words and digitalk in uh, that particular post? Is she linking to something else? Um, who is she linking to? Is that person credible and authoritative? And even is that particular venue of Snapchat the most appropriate way to share an idea or an argument? Are there other places where you can get your ideas out there? So students are immersed in a digital world, and we need to help them think critically and carefully about the tools and the communities that they're speaking to. And we also want to give them a voice, a real voice in the world, because they are real people. Mm -hmm. And they are growing into adults who are going to contribute to our society. And so we want to help them do that in the most productive ways possible. And so to empower them to really be, as Troy said, critical and um, creative consumers and producers of information is very important so that they have a voice and contribute well to society. Like the controversy kind of going on around right now with Facebook and Google mm -hmm. and the fake news and the fact that that's even a conversation happening is evidence of the fact that we need to be talking with our students about what gets created and posted on the internet, by whom and for what purposes, and then what gets shared and what gets liked. Um, it's not just about something getting liked, it's about something that is purposeful and meaningful. And do you want to contribute to that noise and chatter, or do you want to create an argument that's clear and coherent? <laughs> so one of the lessons that I've done with students is it's not about the like, it's about a productive conversation, and it's really about creating productive conversation, which is sorely lacking on the internet right now. To that point, you know, you write in the beginning of the book about how it's not just a blog, it's not just a podcast. This is so much, to the student certainly, when they post something like that, it is so much more to them, and it's important to sort of honor their work in that way, but also still give them 
the, the, the frame of work that they need to build those arguments. Right, and what we've really tried to think about is it's not about creating a podcast, it's about creating an argument mm -hmm. that may be presented as a podcast. And for all of the genres or modes that we looked at in the book, we really tried to deconstruct what an argument would be in each of those modes. So again, it's not about creating a video, mm -hmm. it's about creating an argument that you might share in a PSA, which is a particular kind of argument. And then all the component parts of that video, everything from the script to the way the actors behave to the camera angles, it all contributes. And, and on the one hand, we could say, well, that's superfluous and it doesn't really matter because, you know, a, a classical kind of um, toolman argument is like claim, evidence, warrant. It, it's, it's just the same as what we're doing on paper, but in reality, we know that it's not. And we know that images capture people's attention, videos capture people's attention, colors, fonts, sound effects, music, tone of voice, all those things really matter. And so we, we try to stick with the idea that we're thinking carefully about argument and not go too much into saying, well, it's all about, you know, to get rhetorical pathos and ethos, but it's more about the fact that you have these tools how are you going to use them wisely to communicate your argument uh, to the widest audience and in a respectable, thoughtful, careful manner, um, but also still allow for some creativity and self-expression in the process. And making it more than just the bells and whistles of the tools, so not getting so bogged down in the fonts and mm -hmm. the colors and what pictures mm -hmm. you're putting into your digital presentation, but thinking again about the claim, the evidence supporting that claim, and who that claim is going out to. Well, it wouldn't be a book about digital argument without a digital component, mm -hmm. and you have a special wiki set up for the book. What can people get from the wiki? What can they expect when they go there? Well, one of the things they can expect when they go to the wiki will um, be the examples that we have. We've linked to all of the student samples and other things that are in the book, so they can quickly find those and use them as mentor texts in their own classrooms. Uh, we've shared some of the lesson ideas, and of course, we hope that people will contribute to the wiki. We are really looking to build a gallery of effective digital arguments. And as you find them out in the real world or as you have students create digital arguments, we would really appreciate you adding them to the wiki because uh, that's what's going to continue this conversation and give us more examples to share with our students. And I would just say it's really hard to put a video into a print book. <laughs> you can do it with a screen capture image, but the digital piece allows the digital text to really live in the world. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very good point. <laughs> I'm going to quote something from the book. You write, crafting arguments in a digital world could be one of our greatest possibilities to improve dialogue across cultures, continents, or it could contribute to creating or continuing bitter divides. Are the stakes really that high right now? Well, again, in this cultural moment, I think that they are. Um, I think that they have been for a long time. And we build off the work of Andrea Lunsford and her colleagues who wrote the book, Everything's an Argument, where they were thinking about visual culture and digital culture and all those things. Um, but now, when we have this, you know, the tools had been in the hands of all of us for a long time. You know, Mac computers allowed us to create videos in the 90s and then the 
internet was getting faster and YouTube came out and things like that. But now, students can do this with the device they have in their pocket. And so the immediacy of it, the, the efficiency of it, uh, the ways in which they can choose different channels to broadcast in, whether they're broadcasting video or broadcasting just you know text messages through social networks, it's absolutely critical. And as we're living right in this moment, again, with the fake news and mm. the current context of the election, you know, whatever your political stripes, you have to recognize that social media and the conversation that was happening through a variety of different digital arguments, and this is where the evidence question becomes more important. Mm-hmm. What evidence is, are people, what types of evidence are people pointing to? Do you consider that evidence to have been constructed in a thoughtful, coherent manner? Are you going to be more likely swayed by your own opinions and potential biases? Um, there are just so many questions. So to me, yes, it's absolutely essential. I want my own children and all children to be going through a, a writing curriculum that asks these types of questions and invites them to create products in that kind of manner. And I would just add that our world should be about productive conversation that moves us forward and healthy debate mm-hmm. about facts and, and evidence, but in a way that doesn't disregard facts and evidence. So we draw on the work of Stephen Toulmin, and he sets up argument in terms of claim, evidence, warrant, rebuttal. And he casts this as a conversation between two people. So if you're in a conversation with someone, you might make a claim, and then that person might say, well, what have you got to go on, or how do you know? And then you provide your evidence, and your partner might say, well, so what? Why does that matter? And then you would provide your warrant or your underlying assumption, and there could be a rebuttal, and and it's a productive conversation. This has become all the more complicated because of the different kinds of evidence that we can use to present. So in the book, we talk about a hierarchy of evidence, which I was actually given when I was teaching high school by my department supervisor when he was talking to us about bringing debate into the classroom. But it's something that stuck with me for a very long time because I find it useful to think about the different kinds of evidence we might use. So scientific law, at least in the past, has been the highest form of evidence. If you are holding something and you let go of it, it's going to fall to the ground because gravity says so. And that's pretty powerful evidence. And statistical data is another kind of evidence that is typically carried a lot of weight, even though you can manipulate statistics. Um, Opinions of experts in the past have typically carried a lot of weight. But then you also have opinions of noted individuals who might not be expert on the subject, but people trust them. And then there's anecdotal evidence, which counts a lot pulling on the heartstrings, this is what happened to me, but is not necessarily applicable to everyone. And these categories, I think, are useful in real-world argument as we're thinking about the, the problems that we have because we are not thinking about what kind of evidence actually counts in an argument, in some cases just throwing out the evidence altogether. And I have, I'm the parent of young children. They are um, 
born into this digital world where arguments and maybe not quality arguments are thrown at them all the time or will be thrown at them, I want them to contribute productively. I want them to have conversations with people where they can say, well, what have you got to go on? Well, so what? Why does that matter? And the two people together can come to a better understanding and move forward. And that's really what our society needs. So yeah, the stakes are pretty high. And to encapsulate some of this, I, I, one of the memes that we found, or at least I saw when we were writing this book, it had a picture of Abraham Lincoln, and then it had a black background with white text. And it said, just because someone put a quote next to Lincoln's picture <laughs> doesn't mean that Lincoln actually said it. And you could take that same idea and apply it to a lot of different things. So yeah. it's absolutely no problem at all. We could make that that little photographic or meme of Lincoln and slap any quote on it and put it out on Twitter and have it blasted around the world in less than five minutes. The question is then whether or not, you know, what, what does that do? How does that count as evidence? And if someone is going to employ a tweet from a noted individual who has put a picture with a quote or a picture with a statistic or something like that and they're, count, they're, they're counting on that appeal to authority as evidence, mm -hmm. that's a very different conversation than say, oh, I'm going to send you a link uh, to the actual text on the Library of Congress website written in Lincoln's hand, scanned digitally as an archival document. Two very, very different kinds of evidence um, and and the ways that that evidence is then marshaled into an argument matters a lot too. So uh, a student could choose to link to both of those. And, and in one case, that link to the meme might be useful because you're critiquing it and you're saying, hey, look how silly this is. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, we know that doesn't always happen, mm -hmm. uh, especially on social media. Definitely would like to say thank you to all the teachers who invited us mm -hmm. into their classrooms and who shared examples of student work. Uh, I genuinely invite conversation with teachers through email, through Twitter, through other forms of social media. We love hearing what's going on in your classroom and finding out what real world arguments look like for you and your students. And that's why we've created the wiki, to have that conversation. My thanks to Kristen and Troy for their time today. If you'd like to learn more about their book, Argument in the Real World, go to the Heinemann website at Heinemann.com where you can find out more information, read blogs about the book, and see some videos from them as well. And you can also follow both of them on Twitter. You can follow Kristen at TeachKHT and Troy at Hicks Tro, T-R-O. And also check out the wiki that they've talked about. Be sure to review that for more information. Uh, we've posted sample chapters on Heinemann.com. Plus, you'll want to find out more about the Heinemann Teacher Tip app, and you'll want to join us on Facebook and Twitter as well through Heinemann. Thank you for your time today. We hope you'll tune in again for the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Music.